but you also need to have a common enemy, a common competitor, if you will, the Death Star, the the Goliaths. So my point is, with if you really, really are up for it against a sometimes even lazy and much more expensive and 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 big enemy, you can win, especially when you stand together. Welcome to the podcast B two B SaaS CEOs with me. Joseph Olsen as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams book more meetings. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Matt Vasilius. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Dixon and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Mads. Hey, Joseph. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to finally have you here. I have chased you. You know that I've chased you for a, a, a while, but now we are here. And first thing first, who is Mats? Please help me get the context of how you look at yourself. After 44 years, I'm still trying to figure it out, by the way. <laughs> so not an easy, uh, easy question to answer. And, and first of all, thanks for the, the patience and persistence. Very happy to, to be in, in the B2B SaaS podcast here. So on the personal side, I'm, as mentioned, 44 years old. I'm a father of three and a husband. I have three boys, 15, oh, wow. 12, and seven, and married to my, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of boys and a lot of children. I'm married to to my wife Heidi, and we've been together for almost twenty years. So that's me on the on the personal side. So keeping me uh, me busy busy outside my day job as a CEO and co-founder of Dixa. Besides that, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that during the the podcast. I am what you will call a serial entrepreneur. It sounds so fancy, but I've I've founded four companies and done two exits. And all of them centered around customer engagement, customer service. So started back in, in the early days as custom service agent, became a team lead, and then founded uh, these companies. And we'll get back to, to why I'm so passionate and frustrated and nerdy about customer service software. But in general, besides that, I would say industry passion, building software, task companies with great people, has always been the biggest challenge for me. And I really love that. Very difficult to do, but I also really like to at least try to challenge or disrupt existing mega industries. So a little bit like an alliance or rebellion of underdogs or Davids against the big Goliaths or Death Stars. That's what I really love. So we'll get back to that. Who, who are the Death Stars and the, yeah. and the Goliaths of our industry? <laughs> And, and before we jump into to the Death Stars or the why of the et cetera, please help the listeners get the quick context with your elevator pitch. What does Dixa do? Yes. So Dixa is a conversational customer service platform. And uh, we are on a mission to empower companies or brands to build long-lasting bonds with their customers or consumers at scale. It's a concept and uh, a philosophy we call customer friendship. And what we do basically is that we help customer service leaders through our platform to create effortless experiences for customers and their customer service teams that unlock loyalty, customer friendship at scale. 
And we do that with a very powerful platform that has both AI, but also a human touch where we do highly personalized service experiences across all channels that we natively build in. Phone, email, live chat, Facebook Messenger, chatbots, uh, SMS, Twitter, the whole lot. All the channels that omnichannel brands use every day. That's the short version. Great pitch. I'm thinking for myself, I don't think that my company is in your ICP, but I'm like, oh, I'm curious. We need this. It's a, a great yes. pitch. <laughs> you, you have done yeah, this many yeah. times, I can hear. So, yeah, okay. yeah. It also takes time to crystallize it through the years, to be honest. But yeah. but uh, to, to your point on the on the ICPs, so, so since 2018, where we globally launched, it took us actually three years, two and a half years to get the platform right. You know, the constant classic story, running out of money, you know, using all my salary for, for, at my big job. I was a chairman to get it funded, right? But, but through the years and since 2018, we have powered hundreds of millions of what we call high-quality conversations for, for brands like Too Good To Go, the, 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 the global leader of, of, uh, of, of anti-food waste, Viaplay, the Netflix of the Nordics, GLS, the big logistics player in Europe, Rafa, and Grover in Europe, and then also some really cool brands in, in the US, Whisker, Scale Media, and, and Honest Baby. So it is very much centered around consumer brands or marketplaces or, or B2B brands that has similar omnichannel challenges as well as in, in, you know, in the same manner as consumer brands. That's our ideal customer profiles, just to give a little bit of color yeah. on that one. We would love to have you as customer uh, if it's a good fit. <laughs> yeah, down the line maybe when we have grown bigger. Yeah, but back 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 to the internet. We get the why. I, I'm curious to hear. Yes. Why did you found the Dixa? Yes. So a little bit of related to my background, where I, as a 19 year old, started in a big call center as a customer service agent. There, I quickly uh, grew very frustrated about the technology that we were using. We were using 17 different systems and hundreds of tabs. And it was every time a customer reached out through phone, email, live chat. This was back in 2000, it's, it's many years ago. It was, it was a different experience and often a very bad one. So it was uh, horrible for the customer service agent and it was even worse for the consumer at the end of the line. So that, that actually grew into a fascination of, you know, why are these mega players like Cisco and Avaya and Lucent Technologies. There were, those were the giants back then. Today it's SendDisk and Salesforce and so on. Why are they not making a better job at this? It's not that complicated. I then founded my first company within the customer service space, trying to do some software in between to fix some of these problems. A second company. And then finally, after more than 10 years, I realized the only way I can really make customer service great personal, find the right employee at the right time, having all channels being equally strong in the same experience is to start from scratch with my three co-founders who were, you know, luckily for me, I'm very grateful for that, super strong engineers and product people. I'm more a mix of a commercial product, passion entrepreneur, but we actually decided to make a big, big decision of building a platform from scratch. And to be honest, very happy. If we fast forward to today, we can get back to that. But in the beginning, here in Denmark, Copenhagen, where we were founded in 2015, around my co-founder Jacob's kitchen table, we were out seeking capital funding, and we, we they were basically laughing at us. 
because SanDisk was at that time already big and have received a lot of funding and a lot of success and moved to the US. SanDisk was founded in Denmark, Copenhagen, um, by three founders, actually uh, uh, 500 meters from uh, Jacob's apartment. So funny story. And we had a dream of a platform that should, you know, almost from day one was bigger in its scope and idea than Zendesk. So that was a tough journey where we had to fund ourselves, the classic story, uh, without any pay and, you know, really, really bootstrapping and, 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 and trying to, to get a first version out. So that's, that's probably why we did it, because we were very passionate. We knew how big a problem this, uh, this was. And as more channels came in to play, like Facebook Messenger yeah. and Twitter and what have we today, the problem just grew even bigger. It became a, a chaotic situation for these brands and their customers. Yeah. So that was the reason. I've actually been working with it for 25 years. <laughs> Pretty nerdy, uh, but also uh, super interesting to see the industry grow uh, into a massive, uh, yeah, a, a massive market. So it's fair to say that you are one of few Mister Customer Service in Denmark. Yeah, I, I like that one. I will, I will take that to on my LinkedIn profile. Yes, <laughs> that was a good one. Thanks for sharing. It's it's a very inspiring story. And now we, we, in my podcast, I just don't want it to be me shooting questions. I want to lend my voice to people in our SaaS community. And today we will quickly be joined by a person called Pontus Beckman at SEO AI. And this is his question. Building a large and strong team is often a challenge. What is your best tip for finding and attracting good talent to a growing SaaS startup? Fantastic question. One of the biggest questions of them all. Bitter experiences, tough learnings. I would, my best tip is to completely forget the SAS hiring playbook for a while, especially the one coming from, uh, from San Francisco. Think outside the box, especially if you are in a, you know, if you're founding a company out of the Nordic market, for instance, or Benelux or DAC. So, so a, a big region, but still something different from, from the major markets. Think outside the box and look for talent in a much more holistic way. A corporate leader, for, for instance, in love with the startup scale-up scene can often prove as a much stronger hire than a scale-up leader that has done the playbook before. And has become sometimes lazy spoiled because he came from a massive success. Maybe not necessarily. His his the, the reason that they did it so well was him. Whether he's a CRO or CEO or CMO or she is our chief people officer or our CMO. So the, the point I'm trying to make is no journey is alike, and you have to you have to use and leverage your your region and your power. You are, whether you're from Stockholm or Copenhagen or, or Oslo or Berlin or Paris, because it's much more about passion and stamina and, and resilience in, in the talent, in the person you're hiring, plus equal portions of EQ and IQ than it is that you're coming from the SaaS industry and you, you can say some cool buzzwords and, 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 and matrix. <laughs> um, that's probably the best. And I say that because I've been through that journey. And the best leaders I have today is a good mix of the two backgrounds. So, yeah, I think that's the, the best advice I can give. Good. Pontus, thank you for the question. And I hope you like the answer and much for the input. Uh, we move on to a topic of your choice. 
And the only rule here is that I will sip it now. And you, for several minutes, need to talk about something that you are nerdy about and passionate about. The floor is yours. Thank you. So I'm very passionate, as we just talked about in the previous question, I'm very passionate about leadership and people. And I also am very, very passionate about football. So I, I want to talk a little bit about an analogy between football leadership and underdogs. And what I see in many teams, whether it's a leadership team or it's a product team or it's a marketing team, if you really fight as a team, and that's everybody saying that, you know, that's uh, in every playbook and everybody talks about it, then you have, in my view, team dynamics and all those things. But you need to have, first of all, respect and diverse talent and diversity in general. But you also need to have a common enemy a common competitor, if you will. The and Death Star. You know, the Death Star, the, <laughs> the Goliath. Uh, and their football is great, right? Uh, so give you a, a personal example. All my boys are playing football in a small club outside Copenhagen called Lympu. They are definitely on the dog. They always lose against FC Copenhagen and Brandby, the leading clubs here in Denmark. And in the UK, which is also uh, a country close to my heart, where we have also a big office in, in, in Dixon, there, I support Fulham, which is just next to Chelsea. It's a very small club. They, they they sometimes win against the big guys, but mostly they lose against Arsenal and Liverpool and Manchester United. But the cool thing is when they work together, even though they're much you know cheaper players and, and all that, the leader, the, 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 the coach both for both teams are very passionate and you know goes lengths for his, his players and his people. On, on the team and the staff, and they actually beat FC Copenhagen on regular occasions, and Fulham just won against Arsenal New Year's Eve. So my point is with you know with the football analogy, if you really really are up for it against a sometimes even lazy and and much more expensive and 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 big enemy or a Goliath or a Death Star, you can win especially when you stand together. Um, and I think that's taken me a long time as a founder and entrepreneur to see because I wanted to you know, do a lot myself also as a, as, a, as a CEO, unfortunately. You can ask many people about that. But also as a company, we wanted to do everything ourselves instead of aligning and relating to our ecosystem and thereby finding our place and then stand together against the big guys. So, yeah, I really think there's something there if you can uh, align the troops, rally the troops, and, and, and really become a team and, and get it onto, almost to a, a, a binary game, just like football or soccer, which is pretty easy for people to understand. Yeah. Great input. And I, I can't help myself think of how Steve Jobs did it with Microsoft, the one enemy. We are going after the big corporate Microsoft and like, yeah, and they, then they had the competition and like Ronaldo and, and Messi with the company, like one, one determined like competitor enemy and, and you can do crazy stuff actually. Exactly. And you also need it if you want to beat them eventually and you want to build a, a really successful company because everything is very competitive today. SaaS is the new norm, right? Uh, yeah. Being a SaaS company 10 years ago was a different shade in itself. Everybody is a SaaS company today. 
everybody's a software company. Software and AI is eating the world, right? So you really need something that is different from the corporates. And when you and started, what, 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 who, who, what company was, what, was the Death Star then for nine years it, ago? It, it was Zendesk and it still is. <laughs> so it takes, it takes time to, to eat the whole elephant, but we are doing it one bite of the time. <laughs> so, and we're doing it quicker and quicker. So um, they're not our only competitor, but it's the, our favorite competitor, I would say. Uh, biggest source of growth and, and success as well. So yeah, we're very, yeah. we're very happy. We're very happy about them. Uh, to be honest, it's yeah. important to have a common enemy. Yeah, favorite competitor. Yeah, good word because yeah, fa- fa- favorite enemy. Even yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But uh, but um, I have several more questions too. So uh, we need to move on. And uh, I uh, thank you for sharing about uh, the topic of your choice. Uh, I but uh, talk about go to market now. And yes. now I want to be super steep. One thing I want to understand, Mads. Foselius, the one thing that's, according to you, the most important regarding a great go-to-market strategy. What is that? Great question. And also one of the big questions that, you know, many and also us has been struggling to to get right through through the years and, and also had to adapt. But one thing I have learned, and I think it goes for many, and it, it sounds almost... Uh, uh, like goes without saying, but very early, early as possible, invest in and figure out which channel works best and is scalable. Many, many companies, including ourselves, we used the playbook, did seven, ten things instead of two or three things very, very well. So for instance, depending on your ICPs or your segment or your verticals, if you are SMB and you are a tool that one person can use and then spread out to the rest of the group, then going all in for testing inbound and PLG, product-led growth, would be a one of the three you should definitely do. As you often see, because SaaS companies do it too late because they've been so successful with inbound or PLG or a combination, when they, re- when they realize that they reach a plateau where they cannot, you know, build more pipe or more growth than that, then they really struggle on the outbound. So even though you are major successful inbound PLG, you also have very early on to start investing in outbound SDRs or different ways of outbound, or different ways of, of doing outbound. And the other way, we were pretty good at, again, inbound in the beginning, and then we started to become pretty good at outbound, but then we did not invest enough in inbound and PLG. And it's a constant balance. Uh, and many forget that, including us. So basically, those two are the classic ones. But then finally, there's no need to stay in the old school. If you are a company that wants to disrupt a very competitive space that you almost all software spaces are competitive today, then partnership or ecosystem integrations maybe is your license to operate. Then it's all in on that. We also started too late on that, to be honest, but we have caught up now and it's a very important channel for us. Back to the alliance and the rebellion against the big guys, right? But a new thing that 
I think we will also go into much more dedicated is a loyal and engaged community. So community-led growth. Because you cannot be the big guys in marketing. You, even though you have a great narrative, it's very difficult to, to, to cut through the noise. So those two new ones, community-led growth, partnership ecosystem, in a very, very early stage, much you know earlier than you like, actually, you should investigate that instead of only the inbound and outbound notion. Companies like Figma and Notion in the SaaS space, they've grown massively on community-led growth. And if you look at the consumer space, it's like Gymshark and Starbucks. They are grown so big just through the community. So, yeah, those are my most important, I would say, advice on the go-to-market. Uh, and I, I say it because we have failed several times, but we are today in a, in a pretty good mix of inbound, outbound, and, and partnerships ecosystem. Okay, so 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 if I pause here and what I'm what I'm hearing, if I should super simply summarize it, early you should try everything quickly, yes, to know what sticks. But as soon you see this sticks extremely well, you should stop split focus and just be there for a long time initially. Yeah, I would say yeah, that's a good point. I, I would say you of course need to you need to test some of the bigger rocks. Yeah. What many small startups do is they do 10 of the small things like, you know, events and uh, guerrilla marketing, I don't know, YouTube videos or, you know, TikTok stuff and see them as a channel, but they're not a channel. They're not, they're just initiatives. Yeah. So, yeah. But you need to, yeah, you, you need to go with the, not just three big, there are five big channels now that I heard from you when you talk, try yeah. all the big five. And then you can start decide, and then you choose one initially. And yeah. uh, Mads, if you, if you stay here, what is signs of data points that you know that you really have hit it in one of them? Talking from your own experience. So, yeah, there's no doubt from from the from from the classic marketing and inbound motion, you will have to look at the uh, the conversion rates through the different stages. That is a classic discipline; it will probably never go away. If you're not really good at that, even in the when you have smaller scale, you're going to struggle scaling your company. You're going to struggle raising funds. So whether it's a inbound, an outbound SDR, inside sales driven funnel you have, you do need to understand the conversion rates all the way down to close one and close lost. And and you surprisingly many startups and scalers. They struggled in getting this this right, and if you don't know that, you are you may be pouring money into a big black hole instead of optimizing in the steps where it's where it's right. And for us, for instance, we are doing three things: we have an outbound functions with SDR sitting out of Copenhagen and London. We have that's, that's that is our best generating hype, but the conversion rate is lower than the second best performing today, which is partnerships and ecosystem. So our integration partners. Workforce management, chatbots, inst tools, you name it. Uh, and here the conversion rate is three times higher than the outbound. And finally, as a steady bass rhythm, we have inbound marketing, paid content, organic. And here you have in between. So we have 30% conversion rates on partnerships, 10 on outbound, 20 on inbound. Just to, these are rounded numbers, not to give you exact metrics here. But so that that is key. Otherwise, it, it, it's a dangerous journey. 
Would and say. you already uh, answered my my next question. Uh, that was marketing. What's the main thing or channel that generates the most lead for you? Uh, and and you have already uh, you have already answered. So if you uh, who listens are super curious about that, tune back two minutes. And Mats just told you. And then <laughs> sorry about well, sorry about stealing your questions. No 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 no. It's it's a good flow. It's I love it. And then sales processes. Now with the, all the knowledge you have building several companies. Now, Dix are super successful. Taking that knowledge and you would start a new SaaS company today. What's the three first things you would do regarding building your new sales process? Talking about not the whole go-to-market, but this a B2B sales process. Yes. So it is related to the go-to-market, just saying. It's a great question and one, another, one of the difficult ones. But you need to find your channel again. Otherwise, you have no sales. That's the ghost without saying. We we get that. Okay. But I would in I would invest again in the aforementioned test on PLG inbound double down on partnerships or community for that matter. I would do that today. Community I would definitely build from day one today if I could if I would build a new company and then when reaching what product market fit because you you don't want to invest in your sales process to be quite honest uh, not much at least before you have product market fit. Otherwise, you again. You are doing processes for the sake of processes. And that is also a big mistake I see from both startups and scale-ups that they want to follow this amazing playbook. And then instead of uh, uh, looking uh, at reality, visiting customers, talking to customers or partners and seeing if there's a product market fit, they start there. So that is the first thing you should do in your go-to-market, get your sales process right. And we've also been on a, on a journey there, uh, to, to be honest. And Based on your ICP, your segment, the size of your companies, you should take, in my view, and adapt one of the known sales processes or sales methodologies. So we are today a uh, mid-market company. We also have a very important part of SMB. Um, but what we've done is that we've implemented Medic, very known sales methodology for, from enterprise, but we use it on, in, in a mid-market and a more lean way that fits our value prop, our customers, etc. It includes command of the message, which is almost like a sales Bible on how you differentiate from your competitors, how do you defend why you're better with metrics, you know, very concrete. You probably know that they can come in the message, many of the listeners here, but there are also other sales methodologies and sales processes that can help you be structured in a very chaotic world, making sure there's always a champion. Our champion is the customer service manager. There's an economic buyer, typically a VP or C-level person where the customer service champion reports to. If you don't know those two, know what is important for them, their budget, is their budget. It sounds so simple. This should, you know, the same 100 years ago. But you will be surprised how few companies has, that have a sales process where this is all, always part of the gates to get to the next level. So whether it's medic, or it's winning by design, or another sales methodology uh, fit for your purpose on ICP, that you have to invest in in your step three when you have your PLG or your uh, initial motion. Uh, of course, that's what ignites your growth. Then you double down on the next part, whether that's outbound for you or partnerships or community. And when that those two notions have found product market fit, then you invest in your sales process like heavily training everybody 
in you know a classroom kind of thing, testing them whether you use Kahoot or whatever to make it a little bit fun. That has to be like you know hardcore Navy SEAL school to be honest. <laughs> with with added with added fun, of yeah. course. And everybody, by the way, not only the A's but the customer success, the pre-sales, the solution engineers, the marketeers, they have to know the sales process as well. Otherwise, it's a uh, it's a half investment. I'm pretty and, passionate about that, as you can hear. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Coming from 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 tough experiences on on uh, taking it too light. And yeah. this makes it so interesting to ask you this question, Mats. The last question before we enter in the roundup. Outreach. And now we are not talking about how you do outreach. Now I'm fishing for what's your preferred way of being contacted of a salesperson in a modern buyer's journey for you. Basically, what's the best way to do outreach to you? That's a very good and fun question. I, I think I'm a very, very uh, tough, uh, tough crowd on that one. The perfect outreach, uh, that's somebody that's really nailed it in the last month. How did they approach you? Yeah. So a very good example is uh, through my network, uh, leveraging my network. That can be people that I'm close to, customers, partners, investors, or other relations. And then in a in a really smart way that is quite quite recent or at least close to me it has it as part of the pitch. So I had one the other day from I think it was a sales performance tool where this young man I think it was David he, was, he reached out to me and then he put in the headline very very bullish I would say put the name of our uh, our chairman regarding our chairman's name. And then something else that is, of course, related to to the service. And of course, I'm over this mail. But then, instead of becoming, uh, you know, uh, super annoyed, it was actually very well written. It was very much related to how how we have grown, how we have we've done just a just done a partnership with Ada in the US on on the AI side. We had reached some great clients both in Europe and US. So it was really personalized, and it was touching exactly on. Yeah, on on the on, on two things, known clients and partners, and our chairman's name. So <laughs> you're name dropping three things that I I have to relate to, right? The product's not relevant for us right now, but it was uh, definitely a outreach mail I sent directly to our two SDR leaders in Copenhagen and London. That's a really good one. Amazing and uh, yeah, leverage the network heavy on the personalization so you see that this is not spam and the email i could assume also not linkedin e- email was as the first uh it, good. it was it was it was an email yeah uh, good there we have it uh, for you listeners if you want to pitch the mats follow these rules and then you maybe will succeed at least to, to reach him uh, uh, for a referral etc uh, and this means that we are entering the roundup. So we only have a few questions left. And the first thing, a favorite book. What's your favorite book? My favorite book, and it is related to uh, to, to business and building companies, it's a book called Play Bigger. Bigger. It's, it's how pirates, dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets. And it's it's written by some founders of a very respected Silicon Valley advisory firm. So even though I'm not always for the playbooks of San Francisco and Silicon Valley, uh, there's a, a one very great book for, for category creating companies, but also for 
companies and startups that wants to challenge or disrupt uh, and and eventually build a new category to to get in front of the crazy competition. So super good book. Read it. It's you're going to get it on Audible. You can of course still buy it in hard copy. It includes great examples on Hotspot, Quiltrix, Dropbox, Airtable, um, and many other great companies. So nice. yeah, it's a category category creation. Um, play, play bigger then. I will check it out and you who just yeah, heard this, check it out too. Okay. Can you share yeah, one of your favorite life mottos? Yes. That would be, without being too religious, or I'm not a religious person, but that would be one centered very much about uh, you know having peace of mind but also changing the things that you can so it, you probably know it it's give me the peace of mind to accept the things i cannot change the courage to change the things i can and the wisdom to know the difference and it's very much it is a religious quote but it's coming also from the ideals and principles of stoicism that i really believe in and I also have been helping me a lot in my journey running a startup and scale-up and, and also being a, a family man. So basically war and inflation and bankruptcy and running out of money and all these things, you have to get peace of mind and change and focus on the things you can change and then not uh, care so much about all the things outside your control circle. That is important for any founder, by the way, and person. And the very sense. last question then. And now you're talking to your younger self, think 10 years ago or 15 years ago or something like that. If you will give the younger self the top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Always a good one. I think actually number one would be going back and tell myself the life motto I just mentioned, because that has been one of my biggest challenges uh, in life with like, anxiety coming and, you know, uh, doubts and, and all these things. So that has helped me a lot the last 10 years, 15 years maybe. Then a very important one I would tell myself is that you have to have, maybe, maybe linked to the life motto, but you have to have passion, patience, and perseverance. So the free piece, otherwise it will be too tough a journey to build a company or build a family or, or, or build a uh, electric car or whatever you want to do. And these qualities will help you remember if you don't have the passion anymore, you can always find the passion again by talking to your great employees, your colleagues, your customers and partners and the patience to understand that things take time and the perseverance, perseverance to actually keep going. Then that will, that will be a, big, a good advice for me 20 years ago at least. And number three, you said three. One to three. We can stop at two, but I said one to three, so you choose. Okay. I have one minute left, I can see. So we can take number three. I think, and that's very a personal thing, but you also have to develop yourself, right? I would have told, told myself in, in a young, younger me that I would, it would be great if I sooner realized when I motivate and empower people and when I demotivate and depower people. And especially those close to you in your business and personal life. So the passion can sometimes become too much. Uh, and, and there is a very, very fine balance knowing yourself enough to figure out whether you are your great leader or you're actually in the moment or for a longer period, a bad leader or a bad husband or bad dad. So yeah, I've learned that the hard way.
people giving me pretty concrete feedback, <laughs> which is good. And with these words, I'm quickly shifting the focus to you as been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, if you got value here from Mats, don't be selfish. Tell a friend, tell a colleague to listen to Mats in B2B SaaS CEOs. And thing number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming here every week. And Mats, a huge thank you for putting aside a bit more than 30 minutes together with me to help the SaaS community to keep on learning. Thank you, Joseph. And thank you for doing this. It means, it means a lot to us all. So really grateful for being on board here.